Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Hi, Mom. Hi, bud. What you doing? Question. What? Christmas of 1989. What do you think you wanted for Christmas? 89. I just started working. Oh, no. No. I don't know. I probably just was happy to have a job since our company had closed the year before. Let me ask you this instead. What do you think you got me for Christmas? I don't know. Do you remember? I do. I remember one thing that I got. What? It was a VHS copy of Batman. We probably still have it. How would you remember that? I just remember getting that for Christmas. It actually released on my birthday in 1989. Really? The VHS did, yeah. Well, Merry Christmas to you then. Thanks, Mom. What do you think you got Josh that year? Oh, he was 14. Hope I got him a haircut. But wasn't that his mullet years? It was, yeah. Interesting. That's, that's all I needed. I'm going to start the episode now. Okay. Oh, uh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> okay. Was that the moment you realized that I was recording this? Well, yeah, because you usually give me kind of some heads up a little bit. Well, not anymore. Gosh. Okay. Well, I can't wait to hear the episode. All right. Love it's, you. It's always good. I love you, too. Bye, Bye-bye. Mom. From Milieu Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back to music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Braun. This is Season 1, Episode 41, the most truly horrible time of the year. Today we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, December 9th, 1989. Hello again, friends, and welcome to the calm before the storm that is year-end pop culture chaos. Almost without fail, around this time each year, in the midst of all the tinsel and twinkling lights and holiday shopping and cooking and end-of-year stress, we experience a couple of waves of pop culture goodness, with a little lull right in the middle. In 1989, this was that lull. Over the last couple weeks, we've seen the 30th anniversaries of huge singles, TV series finales, block-busting movies like Steel Magnolias, The Little Mermaid, Back to the Future 2, and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, to name a few. And next week, we get another slew of award-winning movies. Like, big movies. Important movies. If you found yourself in the movie theater 30 years ago today, here are a few of the coming attractions you'd have seen previewed. Mother's a little high-strung. The fact is, you'd be working for me. She can say anything she likes, but she can't fire you. I wouldn't be in your shoes if the sweet Lord Jesus come down and asked me himself. I don't need you. I don't want you. And I don't like you saying I'm rich. What are you doing? I'm trying to drive you to the stove. 
You're speeding, I can see it. We're only doing about 19 miles an hour. I like to go under the speed limit. But speed limit's 35, yeah. Nothing came easy. Morning, Miss Daisy. You leave my flower bed alone. They didn't connect. I just love a house of pictures, Miss Daisy. I don't want you nosing through my things. They couldn't agree. You took the wrong turn at Old Palatka. Well, now you took it with me, Miss Daisy. And you got the man. They wouldn't give in. Well, I'll help you to the door. Thank you, Hoke. I can help myself. Now, ain't just some back of the neck you look at while you're going wherever you got to go. I'm a man. But from place to place... I ever tell you about the first time I leave the state of Georgia? When was that? A few minutes back. <laughs> from season to season... It's not a Christmas present. Oh, no. Well, go on, open it up. Well, look at that. Ain't nobody never given that book before, Miss Daisy. <laughs> For 25 years, they shared each other's lives. You ought not to be driving anything the way you see. How you know how I can see less than you can look out my eyes. And touched each other's hearts. Hope? Yes. You're my best friend. Morgan Freeman, Jessica Tandy, Dan Aykroyd, Driving Miss Daisy. Did you have the air condition checked? I told you to have the air condition checked. I don't know what for. You don't never allow me to turn it on. Hush up. Goodbye. Good luck. Good God. Two tickets to California, please. That's $226. Well, we only have $27.30. What does that get us? Nowhere. Corey's taking his brother Jimmy on a ride. These two boys already traveled more than 80 miles across the state. We've hired someone to find him. What's his problem? He's just shy. But Jimmy's got a secret. You got 50,000 on Double Dragon? That could make this the ride of their lives. Look at him. He's a wizard. He's headed for the video championship. <laughs> this guy? What is that? Power Glow. Yeah, well, uh... Just keep your power gloves up for all right. With a touch of romance. I am not kissing a boy. And a ton of trouble. Got you. We're too late. Put me down! Sorry about that. You maniac! They'll get there any way they can. Jimmy! Here we come! It's Jimmy! Come here! Hey! Now, what do you think you're doing to him? All his life, you've been telling him to do what you want him to do. How about once you ask him what he wants to do, huh? Now, video Armageddon. It's going to take a lot of guts. You can do it! A little magic. You're the best! And the wizard, Fred Savage. The wizard. Fire! I understand you were at Antietam. Yes. A great and a terrible day. I could use your help, Robert. 
governor is proposing to raise a regiment of Negro soldiers. I've submitted your name to be commissioned colonel of the 54th Massachusetts Infantry. I mean, I know how much you'd like to make colonel, but a colored regiment? <laughs> I'm going to do it. Dear mother, the men learn very quickly. Faster than white troops, it seems to me. They have risked their lives to be here. They have given up their freedom. I owe them as much as they have given. I owe them my freedom. My life, if necessary. One, nine, one, one. I, I can knock something down with this. A million loyal readers want to know what happens when the men of the 54th see action. Ain't no dream. We run away slave, but we come back fighting. A million and one. Marching is probably all we'll ever get to do. And they gotta know that nobody's gonna let them fight. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> let you take your regiment out to fight. When? Just as soon as I can write the orders. We'll have much more to say about each of those films next week on episode 42. But as for now, The Lull. The number one film at the box office this week in 1989 during its opening week in theaters was the underrated, presumably at least by me, Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, and Danny DeVito dark comedy The War of the Roses. I always assumed this movie just wasn't great. But after reading some of the reviews online in preparation for this episode, I realized that's probably just because I was 10 years old when it released and it didn't have hoverboards or flying DeLoreans. Later in the month, it reclaims the number one spot at the box office, so hopefully between now and then I can watch with my older, more refined taste and sophisticated sense of humor and appreciate it for what it was. Or maybe I'll still think it's stupid, I don't know. Either way, I'll let you know in a couple weeks. The number one album in the country this week in 1989 was, yet again, but for the final week, Millie Vanilli's Girl You Know It's True. The number one single, however, belonged to the artist who'd steal that number one spot from them the following week, Billy Joel, with his fast-paced, lyrically complex pop hit, We Didn't Start the Fire, in which he alludes to over a hundred different headline-making events from the previous 40 years since he was born. In fact, if you have a few minutes to kill, the Wikipedia article about this song breaks down each one of the headlines referenced in the lyrics. It's kind of a fun read, so I linked it in the show notes for this episode. 
In all honesty, there wasn't much else happening in pop culture this week in 1989. Like I said, it was the lull. People were too busy buying VHS copies of Batman and Say Anything, as well as Game Boys and Sega Genesis, Sega Genesis, to really pay attention to anything else. So I thought it'd be fun to bring on a guest who could help me zoom out a bit and look back at not just this week in 1989, in fact, not even just at 1989, but rather the whole decade. As we prepare to leave the 80s behind forever on this show, it seemed fitting to have one last installment of our segment, Truly Horrible Things, for the season, to reminisce on some of the things that were so bad, so cringeworthy, but which we still love anyway. And who better to talk about those truly horrible things than my friend Stevie Berryman, the founder of the company that bears that very name, Truly Horrible Things. Stevie, welcome to 30 Pop. So glad to have you on today. Thank you, Luke. You know, this is a conversation I think has needed to happen since the show started. You've been a supporter of the show from the very beginning. Your company, Truly Horrible Things, sponsors our segment, Truly Horrible Things. And you're just one of those people who I think really, really loves and appreciates the nostalgia of our youth. I do. And I have loved this podcast when it was just a concept and you told me you were going to do this. I was just, ah, this is perfect. We need this. I need this. Yes, me too. It's, I tell people all the time with all of the other shows that I produce that are all a little heavier and more nuanced in their dialogue, this show is like a pressure release valve for me where I just get to like kind of laugh and make fun of myself as a child, make fun of everyone else as a child. Like it's just great for me. So here's what I want to know before we dive into our segment of Truly Horrible Things Tell me a little bit about who you were. So we're at the very end of the 80s. Who were you at the end of 89, beginning of 1990? Well, that was in <laughs> that was in a truly horrible point of my life, one of those horrible, wonderful times. 30 years ago, I was 16. Yes. So I was right at the beginning of high school, learning to drive. I was a huge orc dork. So orchestra was a big part of my life. I was also into theater, so I had, you know, the stereotypical group of theater kid friends. We were alternative. You couldn't call us goth because that wasn't a word yet, but, you know, we wore black and weird clothes we found thrifting and quoted play lyrics and thought we were intellectuals. Were you all fans of Dead Poet Society? Okay, no. (laughs) Really? Okay, because that feels super on brand for me. Right. So... You have to understand that we saw Dead Poet Society in the theater, like when sure. it opened, before anyone knew anything about it, thinking we were going to go see a Robin Williams film about literature and so excited for how funny this was going to be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was not. That would be wildly disappointing <laughs> when lead character commits suicide. <laughs> It was an amazing film. It's incredible. It's absolutely fantastic. It stayed with me my entire life, and I have not seen it since it was in the theater. Oh, you need to remedy that. You'll definitely love it more today than you did 30 years ago. I have to, because those kids, they were my age. Oh, man. They're incredible actors, too. And they were incredible actors, and I loved literature. English was one of my favorite classes. I loved Shakespeare. I loved poetry. And that movie was the very worst thing that could happen to people that were exactly like me. Yeah, that makes sense. I get that. Yeah. And it also made you realize, well, why the hell don't I have Robin Williams as a teacher? (laughs) 
See, and I kind of did. Like, that's the thing is I had the teacher oh, that stood okay. up on the desk the first day. And, like, I had a teacher that that reminded me of. I mean, I guess I saw the movie probably before because I remember I was in sixth grade when I had this teacher. And he got up on the desk the first day and I was like, oh, it's happening. It's yeah, really, right. It's, really it's happening. actually happening. This is my real life. No. It, was a, it was a very hard movie to watch because it did hit so personally. Okay. So you were into orchestra and theater and mm-hmm. all sorts of artistic things, which right. have now led pretty directly to what you're doing with Truly Horrible Things. Why don't you tell folks what Truly Horrible Things is, as I may okay. have not ever done that perfectly yet. <laughs> Truly Horrible Things is a company that I own and operate with my husband, Paul, mm-hmm. and we make sarcastic products that celebrate the things that we love by pointing out all the things that we hate about them. <laughs> that is such a great description. <laughs> so you, you came out of the gate with, was it Band is Horrible? Uh, is that where it started? It started purely by accident. I didn't mean you for any of this You were just being sarcastic <laughs> and you accidentally wrote it down? Okay, so I wish I could say that it started with something nerdy like band or choir or orchestra, but it's actually much worse than that. Um, <laughs> It started with handbells. Yes. So the other part of my life, I'm a handbell choir director. A brilliant handbell choir director. Thank you very much. Now that compliment came from someone who knows nothing about handbells. But That's perfect. What I've heard. I've heard those are I've the most important. Perform, yeah, it's it's <laughs> truly amazing. I had never even heard handbells until I heard you directing. So, well, so believe it or not, like any hobby or profession you have, there's a national organization. Yeah. And there's a national gathering event, professional and probably organization. Probably a podcast about it. Uh, there is. There's yeah. a handbell. I've been a big guest on the handbell. Yes. Big surprise. Big surprise. <laughs> so I'm on the faculty of this national event where we teach handbell classes and go ring together. And it's great. It's fun. It's wonderful. And they have a silent auction every year to raise funds. And I wanted something that I could give to the silent auction, but I also wanted something that was on brand for me personally. Mm -hmm. And as a clinician and as a teacher, my techniques are very play-based. They use games as teaching methods. Mm -hmm. And so I brought, I I thought, I like games. I like card games. My whole family likes card games. We play apples to apples and stuff with the kids. And so I thought, well, what if I made a version of like Cards Against Humanity, but just made it handbell stuff, Mm -hmm. all the stuff we have to put up with, all the crap you have to put up with. And there's a lot in bells. And so I made it and Paul, I was just going to like run it on, card stock yeah. and cut it out. And Paul's like, no, 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 we can, we can actually make this. And he found a way to get it sent off and made into a game. And he got two copies made. And one we put in the silent auction and then one we took to the bar to play after all the classes nice. were over. And it was crazy. The you one wrote in, the whole thing? I wrote the whole thing. Wow. And the one in the auction sold for $345.67. And, and so that's your retail price today, yeah. right? <laughs> For that particular the bar, game? The bar was set. Yeah, right. And I had so many people say, how can I buy this game? And I was like, well, you can't because I'm not a business. And I, I, don't, I, don't have, I had no idea. Yeah. I, I was not a business. Yeah. I was a Stumbled teacher. Into but yeah, there was enough interest that we went, okay, <laughs> let's see what we can do. And at the time, I was also producing a podcast for yes. choir teachers called yes. Choir Ninja. And so I thought, well, if handbell people like this, maybe choir people do too. And so my partner and I wrote a choir version for choir that, teachers. That's Ryan, right? Right, yes. Ryan Guth. And we opened it up just to the Choir Ninja listeners and said, hey, if you're interested in this thing, pre-order it this weekend. And we got 300 orders. And we were like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
And uh, so the podcast ended, Ryan had a career shift, and I still had people asking me questions about this game and telling me, you got to make a band one, you got to make a band one. So I was like, okay, we threw up a Kickstarter, we formed a company, we hired some band directors to write it because Paul played trombone, but like his band days are fuzzy. So we hired some band directors today to help us write it. We asked for $8,000 on Kickstarter, we raised 10, they can't keep the game in stock. When I go home today, I still have to fill orders. It, it's been insane. The band game in particular just went viral somehow. We don't know how. And, you know, if you're listening now and you think, I should get this for Christmas. Nope, sorry. I'm not advertising. There's absolutely no way I can get it to you for Christmas. What's it like to be successful? I've always wondered. <laughs> it is a pain in the ass, i got to tell you. It is very, very stressful. stressful. Well, I would (laughs) gladly take some of that stress for a little success. So We're launching theater in the spring. So so you've got some new stuff that you did just release. We've got an orchestra version. Theater version is coming out. And it's all geared to be high school appropriate because Uh I wanted a game that I could have played with my friends in high school. Mm -hmm. right? And it's really important to us that with something like this, every kid gets the chance to be the funniest person in the room. Even if it's just for one round, you know, the orc dorks, we're shy, we're introverted. It's hard for us to talk to each other. And you get the same in any group, whether it's theater or choir or band or whatever. It's the same kids around and everyone gets to play and everyone gets that equal shot of being the star for a little bit without any risk. I love that. Yeah, I do too. And the kids are loving it as well. So before we get into the new products that y'all are releasing, I want us to spend a little time. We're at the very end of 1989 on the show, which means we're at the very end of the decade. Yes. Uh, this massive, wonderful decade that I don't know that anyone remembers without some nostalgic kind of sentimentality. And so I thought it would be really fun for our final segment of Truly Horrible Things for 1989 and for the 80s for you to actually come on and share with us a few of the most truly horrible things from the 80s. And I think you're actually exactly the right age for this because you got to be a teenager in the 80s and the 90s. You got to like really fully experience both of those. Right. And I so, was old enough to remember everything about the 80s. Yes. Like I experienced that full decade, but then I was starting adulthood going into the 90s. So yeah, yeah. it's the best. Okay, so let's hear it. <laughs> what are some of your... Most truly horrible things from the 80s. I know that fashion is the first thing that people talk about because there were some awful fashion things there in the was 80s. Indeed, yeah. However, I grew up in this kind of small town in Oklahoma. So fashion it was important, but it wasn't like the crazy stuff. Yeah. Like, I remember wearing a whole lot of plaid jumpers yeah. and sweater vests and that kind of thing. But in the midst of it, it didn't seem horrible to me. What did seem horrible was the hair. And even growing up in the 80s, I never, never understood the hair at all. Didn't make a bit of sense to me. I didn't understand how to achieve it. I didn't understand the architecture that supported it. I didn't understand the products used to reach that lofty goal. I didn't get any of it. And I didn't get why anyone would try that hard. Yeah, which is fun because you have purple hair today as I look at you. I don't understand. For that to have been the thing that jumped out at you. is This is my natural hair color. What I mean is that it's not that you're not adventurous with your hair. You're willing to like. If purple hair were an option in the 80s, I totally would have done that. Yeah. 
So you did the favor of bringing a couple of late 80s, early 90s yearbooks from your own life, one of which has an incredible hologram on the cover. Isn't that sweet? A silver hologram of watches. So that we could look back at some of these amazing hair styles and fashion. What I see is lots of inches on top of especially girls' heads. I mean, just like very tall hair, at least in the front. Very, very tall hair. And here's what you may not understand as a gentleman who was slightly younger, to get bangs that reached those heights, those bangs had to be very long, right? To go up high, they also have to hang down long. Okay. And they're unnaturally defying gravity. I think we can see that. So that requires some support system. Yeah. Hairspray. It looks like cotton candy on the front of their head to me. Right. And like cotton candy, it's interesting that you use that metaphor, when it rains... It melts. Oh. So there was nothing funnier to me than a rainy... Because I just had straight hair. Yeah. And long and straight. There's Rain didn't look any different on right. me. But all of these girls who put all these hours into their hair, they would come... And if it was raining that morning, oh my gosh, it would just be like hanging mm. straight. It would have melted on their face like cotton candy and they would be stuck like that for the rest of the day. There was like, they didn't have a curling iron in their purse. It was a good time though, to be in the hairspray business. Ugh. Aquanet sales had to be through the actual roof. Okay. I say people didn't carry a curling iron in the purse. They may have, I have no idea, but I do know girls who had full size cans of hairspray in their purse, and they would respray throughout the day. Oh, gosh. Yeah, you could you know, smell it in the halls at the lockers. I'm not sure it was just girls either. I'm looking at some <laughs> of these guys, and I see a remarkable number of both mullets and mustaches and the little single curl that comes down the Superman you know, bang on the forehead. Uh, and that was impressive. Yeah, I look at all this work, and I'm just like, man, bring back the flat top. Aaron Keyes is a guy here that, did you know Aaron Keyes? He was in your class. He, um, he needed a razor on his little mustache. <laughs> oh, please keep calling out my classmates by oh, name. This I'm is absolutely fantastic. Going to. It's, I, I even like the way some of them have signed your, your yearbook here. There's one guy who has pointed to his own picture and says, I'm a stud. Right there. <laughs> in your yearbook. It's, it's my yearbook. Outstanding. Who is that? Don't know. Just signed it, Ricky. Oh, it's Ricky Mutani. Hey, Rick. I'm going I'm <laughs> to send you this podcast to listen to. I want to point out, this is the faculty page. This is amazing. Those teachers oh. are adults. Those women yeah. knew better. Yeah. They knew what they yeah. were doing. They, they were using the hairspray too. And My they, goodness. They chose that look. Wow. They had some years on them and they chose Trying that? to be relevant, you know? Trying I don't to know. In. This is the most 80s thing I can imagine opening up and seeing written in your yearbook. Stevie, what's <laughs> happening? Like, <laughs> which, which sort of takes us to another truly horrible thing about the 80s was this sort of blatant racism that was in right. you know the racial insensitivity at the very least everything was yeah. a joke back then and we were totally ignorant absolutely oblivious you know you look back and it's just like how could we have not spared a single thought to what <sighs> this may have felt like to somebody who didn't look like us but yeah. you can see my yearbook i didn't know anybody who didn't look like me. yeah very white this is very, a very white very white school oh goodness gracious <laughs> brian bl what is going on with your hair <laughs> I mean, this is these people are just... Yeah, it'd be fun to just like pick a page at random and count the mullets. Yeah, I'll do that. Let's see here. We're on page 88. Sophomores. Okay, there's one, two, three, four. I would call that a mullet. Yeah, four on 88. Yeah. Five. Sorry, I missed one. And it's coming back. Six. You uh, realize that, this right? Is, okay, so it's like more than half the guys here on this page. 
It is. You know, I have a 15-year-old niece who early in the year was on the show and made a comment about how mullets are hot. And I was like, I never want to hear you say that again. I know. Not only because it reflects how poor your taste is, but also because I don't need to hear my 15-year-old niece talking about what's hot. It's unfortunate. Yeah. There are some people in this book for whom I just kind of feel sorry, honestly. I think that everyone sort of has that moment looking back at their old high school yearbooks. But I got to say, for those of us who have yearbooks in the 80s, you can't touch us. Nobody has as much regret as we do. That's probably true, yeah. That's probably true. Okay, so other truly horrible things from the 80s. You mentioned to me a movie that you loved. That oh, we were, we I were, do love. That was from 89, but yes. that we didn't really give any attention to this year. That's my fault. And that's Heathers. Heathers. Christian Slater, yes. Winona Ryder, Shannon Doherty. Oh, my gosh. Tell me all about it. Okay, like I said, as a as a 16-year-old who was trying to be edgy but didn't actually like want to break any rules or get in trouble— this movie was everything. And it became that thing that anytime we got together with my friend group, we watched Heathers. There's no problem giving spoilers 30 years after the date. Yes, yeah. There is okay. a, there's a statute of limitations on spoilers. So. so it's about a high school that looked exactly like mine, meaning it's almost entirely white, mm-hmm. suburban, not particularly huge, where everybody knows everybody's business. And everybody's business is the most important thing in their lives. Which sort of seems to be all 80s high school that's the, I mean, that's Ferris Bueller, that's Breakfast Club. They're all very white, very suburban, and everybody knows everybody. Which is why Heather stood out, because instead of celebrating it, it looked at what was horrible about that and how these people are terrible and maybe just, you know, throwing it out there, maybe somebody should kill them <laughs> because they are that awful. So it was very much this sort of cathartic fantasy of the popular girls who were ruling the cliques and making all the rules. You know what? What if we could just murder them all and get away with it? Oh, gosh. You just just couldn't make that movie today. No. No, you couldn't. Because the only... mm, Right. And worse than actually killing these children, worse than that would be to kill them and then leave a fake suicide note implying they were gay. Like, Mm. that was the worst thing that you could do. So, yes, the homophobia was real. Yeah. That's another one of those things that just sort of is laced throughout 80s, especially movies, but even TV, even, you know, kind of everything was homophobia and misogyny is everywhere. I mean, it's everywhere today, but like it was so sort of accepted then in a way that people weren't able to call it out for what it was. Right. There were two jocks in the school, and they said bad things about Veronica. So to get them back, her sort of crush, not quite boyfriend, mysterious new guy, J.D. Christian Slater. Christian Slater tricks her into helping him shoot them and make it look like they killed each other in a lover's suicide pact. She didn't know what she was doing, but she's tricked into this. But he feels like it's justified because these people were so terrible. And, you know, as a teenager... That was a really appealing fantasy to have. Wow. There's a guy who likes me so much that this person who was mean to me, he's just going to straight up shoot them. And and he's going to get away with it and make it look very cinematic and awesome. You know what's crazy is almost 10 years, almost to the day from the release of this movie is when Columbine happened, which to me was the first big high school shooting that right. kind of like started that whole it, trend. I'm it, sure it had happened before, but that was the one that like that hit everyone in a new way. Yeah, yeah. And that it was, changed. It was it 10 changed years everything. Almost to the day. It was like 10 years and two weeks later. Yeah, you can't possibly make this movie today. 
because it is after Columbine. Now. Yeah. It's no longer a fantasy. Yeah. For people who have grown up after Columbine, I, it's probably, I probably sound like a horrible person, but the fantasy was like, this could never actually happen in real life. Yeah. That's the reason why you safe. could make that movie then is because it right. was just such a silly notion that could, it was so not plausible. Right. And the fashion in it is fantastic. And every, everything that the characters wear is great. The three popular girls, all named Heather, they wear these enormous bows right at the absolute apex of their head. That was a thing that we did back then, that some people did back then. I was going to say, we? Like you including yourself in that? I did have some very big bows. Okay. But I but wore them on, black on the like... back. <laughs> I wore them on the back of my head and not like sticking up like cat ears. Right. Um, <laughs> but here's how the movie is wonderful and horrible because it talks about like this is what friendship is in high school and this is why it's awful so the first heather dies accidentally we think and the other girls are at her locker and there's like a locker vigil kind of thing and one of them opens it up and she pulls out this enormous bow and she looks at it sadly for a moment it's a very emotional moment because the bow represents the person Mm -hmm. because that's all that girls are it's just a hair bow sure right central theme and she gives it to Veronica, and she says, Heather would want you to have this, which is a very, aw. And then she says, she always said you couldn't accessorize for shit. (laughs) Which is, oh, right there, that one line, I mean, that sort of encapsulates high school, right? Yeah. Like, that's everything. Yeah. (laughs) Having not seen the movie, but knowing that Winona Ryder plays Veronica, she sounds like the perfect pick for Veronica. Winona Ryder was crushing the late 80s. I mean, right? she had just done Beetlejuice a few months before this came out. Like, yes. Oh, I think Heather's is far and away her best performance. Wow. Okay. I'm going to watch it. I'll just watch it. I think I own it. I just haven't ever watched it. I think it, I, it came in some like Apple movies, you know, bundle <laughs> right. of 10 80s movies, but I just haven't watched it. Well, and the language, the verbiage of the time, the slang that they use. I'm, she's eating dinner and she's like, well, I better motor if I want to make it to the funeral on time. <sighs> That's the best. Right? Uh, yeah. It's it's very much of a certain time period, um, and not just for anyone in that time period, but very certain age group in that time yeah. period. And yeah. that spoke to us in ways that, look who's talking, did not. <laughs> like okay. We were talking okay. about you know, that you know, earlier. We don't have to compare everything. <laughs> like, some of us love look who's talking <laughs> and still appreciate it to this day. And it was, like, as I said on the show, very educational for me as to how things work. But... Okay, any other truly horrible things from the 80s that you want to reflect on? This is it. This is our last chance to look back at the 80s. Oh, that's such a burden and responsibility. I'm Gen X. We don't do that. (laughs) I mean, I'm technically Gen X, too. But it's a decade that I remember in a very specific way. You remember it in the way that I remember the 90s. Like, all of my teenage years were in the 90s. I became a teenager in the 90s. I stopped being a teenager in the 90s. And so... I remember that decade really, really well. But I do remember, you know, so for me, the 80s were like my favorite cartoons and my favorite, you know, whatever. It was just a different experience, I think, than than what you had. So, See, I remember the decade with just so much fondness and appreciation. Yeah. I mean, there are some things that are horrible about it, but it's hard to really pick those out because I really just loved most of it. Yeah. Like music, for example. Yeah, there was some awful stuff. And I'll I'll say that it was awful. I couldn't stand Debbie Gibson. I couldn't stand Tiffany. But there was stuff for people like me in my, the 80s. My friend Stephanie Kay, who's been on the show several times, is like applauding you right now. Because she <laughs> loathed, loathed Debbie Gibson so much. You know, you too. Rattle and Hung came out in the 
eighties. Like awesome stuff happened in the eighties, and I'm I'm trying to think of things I can reference now that don't have bad words in them. Because like <laughs> for my group, like Violent Femmes and that kind of thing, it was oh yeah, it fantastic music. Yeah. So. Yeah, okay, so maybe it wasn't something that everyone would appreciate, but I think there was something in the 80s that spoke to everyone, yeah. that every, everyone could truly appreciate and go, yeah, this is this music speaks to me, or yeah. this movie speaks to me. Yeah, whether it was the protest and, like, punk scene, yes. all the way up through, like, your New Kids on the Block, the, the like, super bubblegum pop, you know. Right. Rap um, was changing. We've talked about that on the show. We're coming to the end of where, where rap is, like, this sort of fun playful you know party music and it's becoming this like violent you know even rock and roll is doing the same thing so i mean you're coming out of this like hair band that's all party and girls and this and it's and it's getting like harder you're coming up to nirvana you're coming up yeah pearl jam and and like Uh you know songs about kids killing other people in their class you know you get right it's sort of the end of a really innocent time when you look back. I mean, I even like even when I watch these movies and like kids are talking about like smoking or smoking weed or drinking and stuff. And it's just it's so sort of playful and casual. It's not this like, you know, I grew up in the generation, the dare generation where where there was so much weight and sort of uh, heaviness put on on those sort of experiences. And people they just played with it in the 80s, you know, like right. kids are just having fun and being kids and, you know. Right. There were kids outside of my high school that when the bus dropped them off in the morning, they go around to the side of the school and smoke cigarettes. Yeah. Like that's just happened and everybody knew and nobody cared. Yeah. It's like you would expect now a grown up to say, what are you kids doing yeah. over there? Yeah. No, nobody cared. Teachers didn't want to come grown up, out. Your grown up voice is amazing. <laughs> grown ups in your mind are like 90 years old. That's, they are. The well, best, so. I'm a teenager again, so all yeah. grown ups are that old. But yeah, that's. A teacher couldn't be bothered to actually like walk outside of school <laughs> and yeah. go round up rowdy kids. Yeah. People rode motorcycles to school yeah. in ninth and tenth grade. Like you could get a driver's license at fourteen in Oklahoma. I don't know if that's a thing anywhere else, but a motorcycle, yeah. a motorcycle license you can get in fourteen. That's amazing. Right? What a time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I missed out on so much. We were still I wasn't even allowed to have a skateboard. <laughs> Yes, we we had Dare. It was it's. I remember when it started. Like yeah, I remember the yeah. first year that 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 program started. But before that, it was more things like you really shouldn't hitchhike. <laughs> I remember that messaging. Wow, yeah. which is probably true. You probably shouldn't. I mean, it's probably not all bad. But anyway, okay. So real quick, I want us to wrap up. Do you want to tell us real quick about the new products? from Truly Horrible Things in case folks are looking for interesting things, especially our musician friends out there for Christmas. Absolutely. Our main game decks are, they're a good-sized game. They're about 400 cards. It's There's one for band, there's one for choir, there's one for orchestra, theater's coming out soon. What sets these apart from Cards Against Humanity is that they are high school appropriate, meaning there's no swears, there's no direct references to drinking, drugs, sex, mm-hmm. anything like that. But there is innuendo because language native to band is just horrible. It's awful. You can't not write a dirty card when you're writing a band game. It's impossible yeah. to avoid things like double tonguing or fingering your parts or it's just the way they talk. Yeah. It's literally what they say yeah. every day in the band hall. So there's stuff like that. In my but violin case right now, I have two F holes, a used G string and a nut. Those are all things in my violin case. I'm not, so I'm so uncomfortable right now. <laughs> Our friendship just, we just, we just, we took it somewhere else. Then we former coworkers, and, and now we're, yeah. But this um, is why these games have to exist. They yeah, have to exist because you have to recognize that 
And if you are a band director, you have director's cuts too? Yeah. We do. So all the really dirty stuff yeah. that we couldn't put into the regular games, they get put into the director's only expansion decks. Nice. And those are foul. <laughs> and they are really obscene. And they're not appropriate for anybody. Yeah. Nobody should do that. And I really can't even quote them on here. You just everything yeah so it's not just like band jokes with bad words it's also things that directors deal with as opposed to kids yeah so there's some of that okay. we also have an assistant band director deck oh, coming wow. out because okay. right so it's you know it's ass band director yeah that's how you abbreviate it but that's things like ways to plot to get your head director fired and, and that kind of thing so nice. it's not just like oh they put bad words in it so now it's funny it, yeah it really is speaking to the people that it's directed to. Yeah. For choir, we have a contemporary acapella edition. Oh my gosh. So so specific. It is very specific, but for the high schools out there that have the contemporary acapella groups, like that's, they're amazing. They're amazing high school groups out there. And that was something that was requested of us. And we've got this amazing director, J.D. Frizzell, to write it for us. And it's outstanding. So that's out now. You can get that now. We have some other products for music directors that are all of the fun and snarky, but ultimately mildly educational, mm -hmm. also in our store, which is trulyhorriblethings.com. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on and for just sponsoring this show with our segment, Truly Horrible Things. I love your products. I love your company. And I love your friendship. So I'm so glad to have you on. I can't wait to have you on again in the future. Thank you, Luke. I would love to come on in the future. All right. We'll see you next time, Stevie. Huge thanks to Stevie for being a part of this episode and to her company for being such a faithful sponsor of this show throughout this first season. I'm confident she'll be back with more embarrassing, at least for other people, yearbooks to review on future episodes. Thanks also, as always, to you for supporting this show with your ears. I hope you're already enjoying a peaceful, chaos-free holiday season, however you may or may not observe it, and that you'll join me again next week for a very fun episode 42. Until then... Great pate, but I'm going to have to motor if I want to be ready for that funeral. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Prawner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Milieu Media Group, visit milieumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1989 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com.